Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. We are super excited that you are here for our fifth and final installment of our series entitled Christian. So as we jump into this morning, I need everybody to stand up. I know you just sat down, and I feel bad for having you stand back up, but I need you to stand up. And what I need you to do is I need you to give at least five people a high five and tell them you are good looking. You're just awesome. So some of you, you know, you just need that, that pep. You just need somebody to encourage you, somebody to bless you in that way. There's a bunch of good-looking people in here in church this morning, so you make sure to give somebody a high-five, find your seat. Got to start off the morning, because this is the last, last Sunday we have in August. Can you believe it's almost fall? I told somebody, I'm ready for my pumpkin spice latte. Does anybody else feel me on that? You need a pumpkin spice? Yes, exactly. There's about three or four Christians in here. Excellent. All right. We're glad you're here. It's all right. We have fun at church, okay? So it's relax. If you need a donut, you need some coffee or a water bottle, you just grab it. We're going to get comfortable. We're going to dive into God's word this morning. I'm looking forward to a great message. Last week, we had a good time in church. I was excited. Um, I was jumping rows. You never know what will happen in church on a Sunday morning, so you, you just be ready, all right? Um, I felt bad. I don't know who it was, but I almost clocked him in the face with my shoe, so I got to be careful about jumping the row. So I, I see why everybody wanted to sit in the balcony today. Nobody wanted to be down here. This is the kill zone right here. If you didn't know that, this is the kill zone, all right? So if you sit there, just beware, all right? We have waivers we need you to sign, you know? So just kidding. We're glad that you are here. Luke 15, Luke 15. We're wrapping up a series entitled Christian, and we've been, you could almost say decoding what it means to be a Christian, because I grew up in an environment where Christian was mm, kind of just a label, and anybody was a Christian. Everybody was a Christian. Christian just basically meant you were a good person, you may go to church, you, you might do some nice stuff for some others, but Christian was so broad, you really didn't define it. And then we look at the gospel, we look at what Jesus was, and then I started looking at my own life and my faith, and there was a discrepancy. There was a difference. So we're coming back to, not what does Christian mean, because Christian, honestly, is just a label. And it's not even a label that we gave ourselves. Jesus never called us Christians. Even if you open up the Bible, you can't find it. You're not going to see where Jesus said, hey, Christians, come here. Hey, I call you guys Christians. He, he didn't do it. Christian was a label that people outside of the faith gave Christians because it meant that they were followers of Christ, little Christians. They gave us a term. Jesus gave us a different term, and we don't use it a whole lot. You might hear somebody um, uh, use this term, but Jesus called us disciples because a disciple was one who followed Jesus, was one who was a student, a pupil, one who said, what is Jesus doing, and watched him and would follow him uh, uh, every little detail. And so Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's the label that he gave us, but we're going through what it means to be a Christian and how, how do we live that out, especially because we live in a day and age where, and I've used this line many times, I'll say it for the last time because some of you are sick of hearing it, we live in a world where a lot of people love Jesus but hate his followers. That's just the reality of it. You turn on the news, I mean, it's just out there. There is some Christian group that people just want to hate on, and it's because we love Jesus, but we as Christians, I think, too often have settled for just being a Christian. 
and not really looking at what does Scripture model for us. And as we wrap up this fifth and final um, message on the series, we want to dive into Luke 15, where you're going to see a very diverse group meet and kind of unify on one thought this morning out of Luke 15. In verse number one, you'll see it. The Bible says this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? Now, here's, here's, the, here's the unusual thing about it, okay? So in verse number one, you see there's publicans and sinners. He's saying, yep, I knew it. Democrats are godly. Republicans are ungodly. I, I just knew it, you know, and uh, uh, okay, I guess that offended a lot of you. Good. I'm glad it kind of offended some of you. Hopefully wake you up, all right? But here it was. The publicans were these tax collectors, and instead of calling them sinners because everybody hated the publicans, hated the tax collectors um, because they were kind of like a pyramid scheme. Where And maybe some of you have gotten into one of those pyramid schemes where you were told, hey, you're going to make a whole lot of money. And if you're in my little pyramid and everybody you get is going to make money. But really, it's only the person at the top that actually makes any money. The rest of you are just us. We just kind of are suckers that fell for it and gave them the $200 entry fee or whatever. And so tax collecting that day, you could charge whatever you wanted so long as the guy that got you into it gets his take and then Rome got theirs. So basically, the more tax collectors they were, they were charging these exorbitant amount. So instead of offending the sinners, which when you look at that verse, this is like, hey, the really bad people, this is the, 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 the harlots, this is the, the, the people that were stealing and murdering. These are just terrible people, the sinners. They didn't want to offend the sinners by lumping the tax collectors in that same group. So they said, no, 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 we're going to make tax collectors their own group because we don't want to offend all these sinners. So we're going to call them publicans. So that's where publicans and sinners, these were the lowest of the low. And it's amazing that people who were so unlike Jesus liked Jesus. There was something highly attractional about that. And if you and I find ourselves where there's a certain element of people where we say, mm, I don't want, I don't want to be around them. You know, I don't want, I don't want some of that to rub off on me. Then we've really missed who Jesus was. And how he lived. Because there were people from every background drawn to him. They saw his words. They saw his miracles. There was something that drew them to him. There are some of you. The reason you are a Christ follower today. The reason you took that step. Is there was somebody in your life. You said you know I don't know if I believe everything in the Bible. But there's something about that person. It's real for that person. And I'm just kind of following. And I just see it. And that's what drew you. This morning, we see these people. They're drawn to Jesus. Notice verse number three. Here's what Jesus said. Because the Pharisees, the good people, they said, I can't believe Jesus would be around those people. So Jesus, in only the way that he would, told the story. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until they find it. And Jesus asked this question like, come on, it's a no-brainer. If you have 100 sheep, you're, of course you're going to leave 99 for one and go find it. Honestly, the Bible says leaves them in the wilderness, okay? In that day and age, your livestock was your livelihood, okay? So you don't leave 99 for one. That just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like, oh, stinks to be that sheep. Uh, that's all right. We'll just, I still got 99. We're still doing okay. But the way Jesus says it, it's like, hey, this is just kind of a no-brainer. This is just kind of what you do. And Jesus is posing this question to these scribes and these Pharisees as if, like, 
Come on, guys, isn't this what you would do? But the Pharisees, they didn't see people like that. You see, they like to put people in classes. They like to label people. And then I thought how many times we as Christians like to label people. Oh, you can be my friend because you look like me. Oh, you vote like me, so you and I, we can hang out. And I may step on some of your toes this morning, but it's amazing how much we let uh, all these things divide us. When Jesus says, I'm not going to let those divide us. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you act. I'm not going to let that be the separation between who you need. They needed Jesus. They didn't need a lecture. They needed a new life in Christ, not some lesson on how to behave. And so Jesus is making a great example. He's saying, hey, look, I'll risk 99 so I can go after the one. And so here these scribes and these Pharisees were just kind of blown away. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse number five. He says, and when he had found it, he, 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 he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. Hold on, you lost one sheep, you found it, that's great. But then you threw a party that probably costed more than that sheep. That's kind of interesting. We're going to get back to that later. Verse number six. And when he came home, or verse number seven, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Verse number eight. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she has found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Here's the passage of two lost things. You see a lost sheep. You see a lost coin. But then towards the end of this passage, beginning at verse number 11, down through the rest of the chapter, Jesus then goes into this third and final parable, the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But as we dive into this message, I've entitled this message simply, Embracing Effort and Leaving Lukewarm Living. Because too often, I think you and I as Christians, we don't take the effort that's necessary to go after the one. We're content with the 90 and 9. And Jesus poses a great question and says, hey, we need to turn that around. And we need to go after those that are lost. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your help this morning. I can't deliver this message in my own strength and power. I need your Holy Spirit to do it. I pray that you speak to hearts, speak to lives, people have made uh, time out of their schedule to come here. I pray that it would not be wasted. I pray that it'd be time that is well spent around your word. I pray that your spirit would uh, impart truth that each person needs this morning. I pray for those that may be far from you that this morning they would come back to fellowship and closeness with you. I pray for the ones that may feel a little bit uncomfortable this morning and yet they found comfort here. I pray that they would realize that there is a home found in you that they can find peace with you. And I pray that our church would be one that we go after the one, not just the 99. Pray that you bless this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Christians, Christians, too often I think we are guilty of focusing on the crowd instead of going after the one. And Jesus here in, teaches us to engage our emotions, just don't excuse them. Here's the scribes and the Pharisees, all right? They looked at a situation, they looked at people, and they didn't see a name, they saw a number. 
They saw just another person. They didn't see a soul that would spend eternity somewhere. They just saw somebody else that should do what they do, who should act like what they act like. And if they don't, they are not in the club. They're outside. And so Jesus said, hey, we've got to change this. Because these people, the Pharisees and the scribes, looked at people with no emotion. They looked at them with disdain. Matter of fact, if they were walking on the side of a street with a publican or a sinner, they would cross the street and go to the other side because they didn't even want to walk on the same side of the street because they would avoid them doing whatever they could to stay as far away from sin. And it's funny because I think you and I as Christians, we try to do that. We try to isolate ourselves from sin. You've heard it, uh, and it's tragic, and I don't mean to make light of it, but there's a TV kind of semi-famous family, the Duggars, who are on TV. And they came out as, wow, they had dress standards, they had modesty standards, they had purity standards, they had all kinds of what they would call protection from their kids from the outside world. Now, some of you may be familiar with them. They had, I think, 18 kids and just a large family lived in Arkansas. But then it came out that one of their oldest son, not only had he molested girls when he was younger, but then it came out he had signed up for that website, Ashley Madison. And what what really bothered me the whole time was the fact that these parents did everything they could to protect their children as if the garbage and the sin is outside when we forget the Bible says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That sin doesn't come outside, sin's inside. And so to think that we can just isolate ourselves from sin is just a, not a reality. And sometimes I think we as Christians just feel like, okay, we need to get all, the, all the, the people that got all the issues and all the problems, just keep them as far away from me as possible because I don't want you contam- contaminating my life. When we forget that, wait a minute, our heart is wicked. My heart can come up with some horrible things. As a pastor of a church, there's some times where I'm thinking, I can't believe I just thought that thought. I can't believe I just felt that emotion. I can't believe that I did that. And I claim to preach and want to live of the word of God because there's wickedness inside of our hearts. And so here's this passage where Jesus is saying, look, we're messed up. But don't let that keep you from reaching out to that one person. Look at that person with the emotion. Look at that person and see that their life is broken and that they're hurting. The Bible said in Lamentation, the prophet Jeremiah, he said it best. He said when he looked over the ruins of Jerusalem as it had been destroyed, he said, my eyes affected my heart, my emotions. I don't know about you, but if you ever looked at maybe some of your old family photos or you watched your old uh, wedding video, you looked at those pictures and your eyes didn't start to tear up a little bit, start to feel a little bit of that tug at your emotions. Why? Because it's true, our Our eyes affect our heart. I mean, I can see a really nice deep dish pizza with sausage and pepperoni. And it just just kind of makes me well up a little. I'm totally kidding. But there was this video. I don't know if you saw it. The crazy cat lady that she was posting for her eHarmony account. But did anybody see this video? you got to go see this video. It's hilarious. She's on this dating website, and she starts talking about how much she loves cats, and she loses it, and it's awesome. You need to go home and see it. Matter of fact, church is over. Let's go. That's all you need. You know, we need to go watch this video. It's great, and she's just crying. Why? She's just thinking about cats because our eyes can affect our heart. We could just be moved, and we need to get to the point as a church where we say, you know what? I'm moved for people that are different than me. I'm moved for them because they need something. I'm moved 
because they're hurting. I'm moved because there's something that's missing in their life. And we need to have the courage like Jesus says, hey, leave the 99th. They'll be okay. Let's go after the one. Let's go after that. For some of you, the challenge this morning is to say, you know, I've got a wayward teenager at home. Hey, I've got a wayward uh, uh, relationship I need to restore. Hey, there's something that happened in my work. I need to go after that. I need to repair this. There's something that I need to do instead of just sitting here all uh, happy that you've got your 99 instead of saying, wait a minute, God wants me to have the courage to go after the one, to go after this one that's lost and is missing. And so we need to let our eyes affect our hearts. Jesus constantly uses this analogy of our eyes looking out. In John 4, he says, lift up your eyes, look onto the fields, for they are wide already to harvest. He's saying, look and see all these people. See, too often, you and I kind of dehumanize people. And it's sad when we do that. We can look at somebody and we forget that they're a human being created in the grand image of God, that they are image bearers of God. And we can say, well, they don't act like me and they don't think like me, so I don't like them. And we do that. And I'm greatly concerned because I see in our nation, not just in our churches, not just in our community, but in our nation, we are polarizing. Everybody's got their little group, their little sector, and we're so divided, not just racially, not just economically, not just socially, but you just see all this division. And you're saying, wait a minute, that's not what God intended. That's not what God meant for us to be. And so we as even church people, we could say, well, I want to I wanna have a church where everybody looks just like me. You know, and I, I hope we don't have a church that just looks like me because that's not what heaven's going to look like. Heaven's going to, the Bible says in Revelation that there's going to be every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. Heaven is going to be just a, an assortment of race, an assortment of ethnicity. It's going to be an assortment of things. So I want a church that reflects what heaven may be. Every background, every different type, that's what we need. But when we, think, and when we step back as a church and say, you know what? No, everybody needs to think like me and act like me and talk like me. God didn't want us to be automatons, just robots, just mindlessly doing Christianity. I could do my robot dance for you if you want. Church is entertaining. I'm telling you what, I should charge you guys admission, all right? See what my poor wife has to put up with through the week? You get 45 minutes of this. She gets seven days, 24-7. It's nonstop. So you need to understand that when it comes to this, God wants us to engage our emotion. How many have ever lost something in this room? You ever, ever lost anything valuable? A couple years ago, 2010, we were going to take a trip to the Holy Land. We were going to go to Israel. So my wife and I were going to go. And I had bought her a wedding ring. And I didn't spend this much, but it was worth about $10,000. I didn't spend that much. But I, I told her, I said, hey, we're going to be going. It's going to be two weeks. I don't want you to bring any of your jewelry. Because she had told me about the Philippines where she grew up, that people will steal it. You know, they'll, they'll grab your earrings and stuff. And I was like, hey, just leave it. You know, we don't, we don't want to take it. Well, it came a little bit before the trip. She said, I can't find any of my wedding rings. When she said it, it was just like the pit of my stomach. Some of you guys know when we bought something expensive for a wife and she says she can't find it, you're like, and she's like, but is that okay? Yeah, let me just, just a moment, you know, just let me have a moment. You're like sucking the wall, you're mad, you know, and it's just kind of like, ah, you know, scream. And then you come back and it's like, it's okay, I love you, baby. And for months, we went on the trip. We went to Israel. We went to Jordan. We were in parts of Europe. We went all over. And we came back, and we still hadn't found that ring. Still hadn't found it. Still hadn't found it. Well, it was about six months later. She was cleaning out one of her purses. And in one of her purses, she had a coin pouch. Remember this? It was a little coin pouch. And she was reaching for some quarters or some coins. And she's like, that's not a coin, but it's round. 
And it's got a rock on the side of it, a really tiny rock. And kind of needs to give me a bigger rock, but it's got something there. I mean, it's, it's small. And so and she pulls it out, and there was her wedding rings. And I got to tell you, that purse, she took that purse to Israel. She left that purse. There's times she had just set it on a table, not knowing that somebody could have just grabbed that little cheap purse. There was nothing expensive about the purse. It wasn't a fancy purse. But inside of that purse contained something so valuable. And so when we lose something of great value, we want to find it. And our emotions go out to it. And so we need to start looking once again with people and seeing the value that's inside of people. Instead of just saying, you know what? If they were like me, then I think I'd like them. And I I think I'd help them. Instead of saying, wait a minute, they do have inherent value. So here's what needs to happen. We shouldn't get angry at lost things. We go looking for them. I wasn't angry at the ring. I really wasn't. I wasn't like, curse you, ring. Why would you do this to me? Oh, I hate you. I wasn't mad at the ring. The ring didn't lose itself. Somebody else lost the ring. No, I'm just kidding. It's church. I gotta be, I gotta behave. And so you got to understand that when it came to lost things, you, you don't get upset when you've lost something. You may get upset at yourself, but you're not upset at the, the object that's lost. What do you do? You go looking for it. When somebody's lost in your family, what do you do? You go looking for them. You go to help them. When somebody's hurting, we help them. When somebody's outside of the fold, we go after them. When there's a church member you haven't seen in a while and you want to encourage them, you don't say, oh, what happened to them? I bet they're out in sin. I bet they're doing something bad. I bet they just hate us. I bet, man, somebody made them mad. No, no. How about you give them a call, send them a text message, say, hey, how you doing? I'm praying for you. Let me know if you want to grab coffee. Let me know if you want something. I'm here for you. Instead of just saying, well, they didn't act like me, talk like me, sit by me, shake my hand, so I don't like them. Really? Are we in junior high again? Is that really what it is? Well, they wore my outfit that one day, and so I don't like them ever since they wore that. Who cares? But we can do that kind of stuff. We can get wrapped up in this petty little stuff instead of getting what Jesus was trying to teach. What he was trying to teach these people was, don't get angry at lost people. Go looking for them. Not just that, but I see this all the time. I grew up in a movement that was ultra strict, ultra conservative. And so what we often did, and I'm going to confess to you right now, it wasn't right. But oftentimes when somebody wasn't living right, we felt like it was our job to correct them. We felt like it was our job to make sure they felt terrible about it. We felt like it was our job to make sure they knew that they were in sin. We would preach it against from the pulpit. We would knock on their doors and go to their house and make sure they straightened up. We would do everything we could to make sure they knew just how bad it was they were doing that. And guess what? It never worked. Never helped them. They weren't like, oh, yes, I want to come back to your church. No, they were like, forget you. Like, I, I see what you're doing. But when I, when I look at this, it, it, it's, it's not the same. You see, Jesus didn't say, you know what, curse that sheep. Bad sheep. And I even hear people say this. Well, the shepherds back in that day, they would break the sheep's legs. And that's where the sheep would never wander off again. And you're looking at this pastor like, like, hold your leg. Like, like, what are you getting at, man? Like, I see you're using the analogy, but really, I'm going to put you in jail if you try to touch me. Like, I will drop kick you for Jesus if that's what you're implying. Okay, because we, you want to go there, we will go there. I'm working out, I weigh a buck 52, and come on, we'll, we'll, we'll dance, all right? And we, there was so much anger about it. It was like they get up and they would preach, and you're just like, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry at a lost person? Because the lost don't know they're lost. And so when somebody doesn't know they're lost, guess what? They're going to act lost. 
Instead of getting upset, we go looking for them. We go to help them. We don't get all, look at my self-righteousness, because that's what the Pharisees did. Look at me. Look what I wore to church. Look what Bible I have. Look at how much I'm giving. Look at how much good deeds I did. Because the Pharisees and scribes were all about performance-based Christianity. They're all about how, how they need to perform because they thought performance is what Jesus wanted. And that's not what he was after. He was talk, talking about lost things and going after them. The Bible even says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You see, lost things don't know they're lost. And what should happen is sin should break our hearts. Because sin breaks people. Your sin should break my heart. My sin should break your heart because there's consequences for sin. And we shouldn't look out and be like, man, I can't believe you did that. You're not welcome here. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? People, people have come to this church and said, man, I, I, I don't know about those people you've got coming there. I don't know. They're kind, they're kind of some, some, some mess up. They don't look like very Christian people. And I would say, I, I hope not. I hope not because we're a hospital. We're not a hotel. We're not some luxury resort. We're a hospital for the hurting. And just like a hospital, I hope there's some sick people there. I hope there's some people that need help. Otherwise, why are we doing what we're doing? Drop the mic. We don't need to do it. Seriously. I don't need to be here if everybody's A-OK. I don't, I, honestly, and you don't need to be here. Because if you've got it all together, excellent. You go grab a theater and you preach your own message then. You're, you're set. But we're a place where we understand that if people are hurting and people have sin and people need to deal with some issues and people need the love of Jesus Christ, this is where they can come. This is the place where we say, excellent, you've got issues, I've got issues, we're dealing with it together. Let's love God together. Let's grow together. Let's do this together. We're not perfect, but we're working on it. Now, we're not excusing sin for one second. Don't think that I'm okay with you sleeping around. Don't think I'm okay with you getting wasted. Don't think I'm okay with you snorting cocaine. Don't think I'm okay with you going to a little hitman mafia job or whatever you're doing and watching pornography. I'm not okay with sin, but I am okay with you. And there is a difference. I am okay with you. I don't have to deal with your sin. I'm not the one that's going to stand before God because it's your sin. I'm going to stand before God for Micaiah's sin. Okay? And so you and I, we say, wait, we're sinners together. We're going to go and we want to live for God. We're going to do the best we can. And guess what? I may not make it a church every Sunday. Just might not happen. I want to. I wish I could. But I got to pay the bills sometimes. I want to always be reading my Bible. I should be reading my Bible. But guess what? Life is busy. I live in the Bay Area. I work two jobs. I work 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. I got kids in private school. I'm trying to do the best I can. So I don't need a preacher. Uh Uh-oh, I'm getting on the chair. I don't need a preacher who's going to get up in my face and tell me I'm not doing enough. Because I'm working as hard as I can. So when it comes to lost people, we don't look at them and say, no, no, no. We don't do that. We don't do that. We go looking for them. We help them. And then we understand that lost people are going to act lost. But here's the next key. The mic went somewhere. We're going to find it. I might preach this message without a mic. There we go. Ta-da. It's amazing. Uh, I thought it escaped for me. 
We're talking about lost things. But here's what I realized. When it comes to lost things, here's the thing that hit me. It's not knowing about where to find them. It's about knowing how to find them. It's not about where. You see, too many times we get wrapped up on where do I find lost things? But if you knew where to look, they're not lost. So it's all about knowing how to look. So this week I discovered something really great because I lost my, I lose stuff all the time, don't I? Man, and I lost my phone. Anybody seen an iPhone, iPhone 5S, black case? Anybody seen it? No? Well, I found something really cool. Isaac, pull it up, pull it up. All right, cool. You see it where it says find my phone? I just discovered this this week. I know some of you are like, are you for real? Hey, I just discovered Google last week, okay? So I'm really slow, all right? It's taking me a while, all right? So, but I, sh- I found this this week where you can click on find my iPhone. And guess what? Oh, you got to type in my password. Do I have to tell you my password? It's a secret. It's Southbridge One. Shh, don't tell anybody. It doesn't work for my pen, doesn't work for anything else. It's only for the computer. Capital S, Southridge 1. As soon as you type that in, it'll pop up there. And then we're about to find my iPhone. If one of you have it, it's on. Wait a minute. Where is it? See there, you, can you see the mall on the left? See the green on the right? It's at my house. We found it. That's great. But here's the thing. I said it's not about knowing where to look. It's about knowing how to look. So how do we look for lost people? How do we look for these things? And I found this, that what it takes is that when we embrace effort. Because I found too often we don't embrace effort today. There's a lot of Christians, they don't try. We don't try. There's lost people all around us. We don't embrace the effort. I've been learning some the last four months doing CrossFit. And if I talk about CrossFit too much, I'm sorry. But if I pay that much a month, I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration. And the thing about CrossFit is you will not like CrossFit. You will not do CrossFit if you don't embrace effort. If you don't just embrace the fact that it's going to be hard. If you don't just embrace the fact that, you know what, you're not going to feel good. Working out doesn't feel good. Exercising doesn't feel good. But afterwards, it feels great. But in the moment, and before we did a workout on Friday, the instructor, the trainer, he stopped and he said, look, guys, it's hot. It's 90 degrees. There's no AC in this gym. There's no circulation. It's humid in here. You got about 15 sweaty people in here. There's no circulation. You can't breathe. And we're going to do this intense workout. Guess what? It's going to be hard. Tell yourself it's going to be hard, but you're going to do it. And we need to embrace the effort. Because I see a lot of times, you and I, we don't embrace it. We just say, that person is too far gone, so I'm not going to go after them. That person is just too hard. That person is just not enough like me. That person is just too out there. And so I'm not going to do what it takes. And instead, we need to step back and say, wait a minute. Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth. And now a lot of people said, he came to die. Well, if he came to die, he could come down and die on a cross and forget having to spend 33 years on this planet. So he did more than just come to die, okay? If it just came to die, he could have come down, get on a cross, and go back to heaven. But it's not what he did, so stop using that term okay that's totally on the side that's free that's a bonus just tithe extra all right now but when it comes to us living and doing right jesus said look i've got an example for you okay i want you to follow this i want you to live this and stop escaping the effort and start embracing it because too often we're not embracing what god has called us to do god has called us to be 
restless about reaching people. Notice this in this passage. He says, and a shepherd, and when this shepherd, when he loses the sheep, he goes out for it, and he looks for it in the wilderness, and he looks until he finds it. Until he finds it. You know what's amazing? We give up too soon, don't we? How many of you, when you lost something value, you keep looking for it? I grew up in a large family. We had seven kids. And in that large family, we would go somewhere, and inevitably, somebody would get lost. And I got one brother. His name is Daniel. He always got lost. Like, if there was anybody who would get left, it was Daniel. We just knew Daniel was going to get left. He could be with the group the whole time. Like, he'd be standing right out front of the grocery store or the mall, wherever he went, and we would just get up in the car, and we were just gone, like gone. The movie Full House, or not Full House, Home Alone, uh, getting all mixed up. That movie where they left him, that was our family. I can't tell you how many times we would leave Daniel at a store, we'd get home, and we no cell phones, nothing. Hey, I was born in the 80s, I grew up in the 90s, a little bit different day and age, you know. Nowadays, my parents probably would be in jail, have a prison ministry, that type of thing. But back then, it's just kind of, it just happened, all right? And so, there would be Daniel, usually crying on the corner. Yes, we left him again at the same place, one grocery store. They got to know Daniel by name. Like, they're out there giving him a popsicle. Like, it's going to be okay. I'm sure Mark and Victoria will be back. We hope, you know. And so, but when you lose your child, oh, man, something inside of you. You moms, the she-bear just kind of comes out. Like, you will rip somebody's throat out if anybody stands between you and your child because you're going to get to your child and there's nobody that's going to keep it from your child case in point ever been to the airport the new tsa security they'll let your child go through first and then they're holding you over here and you're like wait a minute my child's over there and some 12 dollar an hour tsa agent bless their heart is like no 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 your child's fine my child is not fine my child's a few years old you're gonna let me over there right now sir take off your wedding ring it's gonna stay on cut my finger off i'm going over there you need to take off your belt take it off me i'm going to my child your shoes i I don't care my child's over there you're not gonna keep me between my child because we won't let anything get between us but here's this restless effort and jesus saying hey look the shepherd he keeps going no matter how much it takes how much effort are are you willing to embrace to reach out not just to the lost not just to the lost but to even your own family to even your own friends you see it's easy to apply this to just people that are outside of faith but there are some people that you know right now who are good people who have just kind of gotten on the wrong path they're great people but they're just heading in the wrong direction and right now they need somebody who'll just say you know what i'm not going to give up on you i'm not going to give up on you We've seen some amazing victories. There's a person that's been coming to our church for the last six months. My wife and I have been praying for 10 years, 10 years for this person. We've got prayer journals. We have this person's name for 10 years, just prayed, 10 years, just prayed, 10 years, just prayed, 10 years, just kept on, just kept on, kept on, kept on praying, not giving up, not giving up, not giving up. This summer, we saw a breakthrough in that person's life. This summer, God did a miracle. And next Sunday, don't miss next Sunday because you're going to hear the story and it's going to be powerful. I'm not necessarily going to preach next Sunday. We've got people that are going to come up here and they're going to share their story with you. And I can't wait for you to hear it because it's powerful for 10, a decade. We've been asking God to work a miracle in this person's life. So next Sunday, I understand it's Labor Day. We're doing something different because it is Labor Day. So if you're here, you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a great service. Didn't mean to put a little plug in there for it, a little commercial, a little infomercial. Like I said, I won't charge you for that. But understand that we see that stories are powerful when we go after somebody. Not only Jesus was saying, hey, restless, it's relentless. This woman, she's looking for her ring. And during this time, the Bible says in verse number 8, and seeks diligently till she finds it. 
She's not giving up. She's diligent about this search. I think you and I, we give up too soon. We give up too soon from seeing what God wants to do and what God wants to bless. We stop praying too soon. We stop reading too soon. We give up on a dream. We give up on a desire. We just quit too soon when God's saying, wait a minute, let's circle Jericho one more time. Let's go around this. Let's see what God can do one more time. Let's see if God will bless us. Let's see if God will work in this situation. You need a miracle right now? Don't give up on it. Don't quit on it. Embrace effort. Because too often I see Christians, we don't embrace the effort. We're just sitting back just thinking, well, it'll just maybe it'll happen. Instead, I believe God is calling us to embrace the effort that we need to see great things happen. But you know what's funny? The scribes and Pharisees, they didn't want to be bothered by the broken. It was an inconvenience. They didn't want to be bothered by anybody broken or hurting anybody with any needs. They wanted the people, they wanted a temple, they wanted a church filled with everybody that acted like they had no problems. I'm afraid today we're guilty of doing the same building monuments and mausoleums to a bunch of people who want to walk in and act like they've got it all together. And I, and I get it. There's good people in every church. But here we just don't have to fake it. We just come and say, you know what? Yeah, I need a little help. I need to change some things. Yeah, I, I, there's some things about my life I'm not proud of. I want to change this and I need some help. And I need an environment where it's safe for me to go do that. I need a place where God can just have some and work on me. I want you to understand this. The level of your impact will be directly proportional to the price you are willing to pay. Some of you are saying, I want to have an impact on my family. I want to have an impact on my job. I want to have an impact on my coworkers. Then it's going to be directly proportional to the price you're willing to pay. Are you willing to stay up all night? Are you willing to go and be with that person at all hours? Are you willing to be there when that person needs you most? Are you willing to go the extra mile for your spouse? Are you willing to go the extra mile for your children? You're saying, my relationship with my spouse is not what it should be. Then pay the price and go the distance. Embrace effort. My relationship with my children is not what I want it to be. Then pay a price, embrace effort, and go the distance in that relationship. If there's something that isn't how it should be, then you and your mind say, you know what? This is going to take some work. I don't know when we as believers bought into the lie that as soon as we got Jesus, a little God luck in our life, that everything just changed and everything was all easy. Instead, we need to understand that, wait a minute, Jesus did call us to carry a cross. I'm going to carry that. I'm going to carry it with joy. And I want to see what great things God can do on my behalf. Because we need, more than ever in this day and age, is some believers who don't just say, oh, I'm a Christian and live however. But we need some Christians who say, you know what? I'm doing the best I can. And I'm carrying my cross. And I'm seeing God do some great things in my family. My marriage is hot. It's on fire. My children love me. We're doing great. My job may not be perfect, may not be the best job, but I'm seeing God do some things in my coworkers' lives, and I'm there when they need me. I'm there and ministering to my church. I'm doing all that I can because I've embraced effort, and there's going to be a price. Because too often we've mistaken that difference between a life that feels good and a life that does good. We need to get away from that. Too often we only want to do what feels good. And so we stop when things get hard. We stop when things get difficult. And when the relationship is a little bit rocky, we just kind of give up. Instead of saying, wait a minute, this is worth going the distance for. I want to tell you something this morning because I believe there are some of you this morning that you're facing some incredible obstacles. This week, my wife and I have gotten several phone calls or several people that are just going through some tremendous things. Some are here, some aren't. But I have a statement I want you to write down and think about. Don't tell God how big the problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. 
And some of you, that's, that's the word for you. For some of you, that's what you needed to hear. That's why you're here. Because you're looking at this huge problem, and you're trying to tell God about it. But instead, you stare that problem in the face and say, I want you to meet a really big God who can do it. I want you to see what my God can do in this situation. It's a relentless, it's a restless effort. So we need to get to the point where we say, you know what, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back up and I won't back around because there's not enough horsepower in hell to stop the church of the living God. And too many times we, we think, well, I don't know if we really can make a difference. Yes, we can. Yes, we can, because the Bible says in Matthew 16, 18, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So why do we think that the devil can gain ground in our lives? He can't, unless we're giving ground up. Don't give up any ground. Don't back down, because we've got God, and God wants to do incredibly, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. But I think too often, we care more about impressing people than impacting people. Think about this woman. I know we're, we're, we're wrapping things up. we got to go. But this woman, the, the sheep wandered off. But the woman lost the coin. But then after she finds it, she calls her friends and has a party. She's admitting the fact that she lost it. I don't know about you, but I have a very hard time admitting fault or failure. Ask my wife. I think a lot of the times if we have an argument, if we have something, it's because of my German stubbornness where I wanna, won't give up that I was wrong. I just won't admit that it was my fault. I just won't admit that I overspent that month. I just won't admit that, man, yes, it was me with the toilet seat. I just won't admit it. I keep trying to blame it on Austin or Megan, and it just doesn't work. I just won't admit it because I'm stubborn. And so there's these things where it's like, wait a minute, why won't you just admit? And here's this woman. She calls this party, and at this party, she says, guess what? I lost one of my coins, but I found it. She's admitting her guilt. I think sometimes the reason you're not having the impact you'd like to have is because you feel like you've got to walk around like you're perfect. You know what? I wouldn't follow anybody who didn't lead with a limp. You say, what do you mean? Somebody that hasn't been through some things. I don't want somebody coming up to me and says, oh, just trust God. God will take care of you. 13 years old, never been through anything. What are you talking about? Man, you don't even have hair on your face, man. You can come back in 10 years, you know? No. Somebody who comes back to me and says, you know what, I've been through some things. I've seen God do some things. That's what, when they say it, oh, it means a world of a difference. Because why? They've been through some things. They understand the effort. But then lastly, we're going to end on this. This is a prodigal son. In verses 12 down through verse 32, we don't have time to read it, but Jesus then ends this parable. It's really three parables in one. And he starts telling the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, hey, there's... There's a family. There was two boys. One was the older, one was the younger. And Jesus understood birth order before birth order even came out. The older brother was the behavior, the good one. The younger brother was the rebel. Any older siblings in here? You're the oldest. Would you raise your hand? Got some older? I'm just curious. Were you the behavior? Were you the good one? There's a couple of you. Yes, yeah, there's a few of you. You're like, yes, when the power would go out, they'd light the room with your halo. Yes, that's how my brother was. I hated him. Couldn't stand him. Oh, man, made me so mad. Always compared to him. Why can't you be like that? You know what? Matter of fact, I'll even to this day, I'll go to like meetings and people are like, oh, hey, is that Pastor Josh Ermler? No, it's his brother, Micaiah. Oh, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, huh? And they're like, no, he's more famous. You know, that one. I, we don't, I don't know. So I still get it. Still bitter. Still working through my issues. 
But I need you to understand something. Here's one brother. The older brother's behavior. The younger one is the disbehavior. And the younger brother comes to his father and tells his father, basically, I wish you would die because I want my inheritance now. This goes back to the fact that he didn't trust his father to give him what he, what he had coming. Many times, you and I, we don't trust the heavenly father to give us what is ours. Jesus was driving at that point with the Pharisees that we don't trust God enough, okay? But it goes on from there. This younger brother, then the father says, okay, is that what you want? You wish I was dead? Well, I'm not dead, but here's what I'll do. For you, you need to learn a lesson. I can't teach it to you. I'm going to liquidate half my assets. He gives it to the younger son. The younger son goes off, and the Bible says, to a far country. He says, I can't put enough distance between my father because if I'm close to home, he may still try to control me. He may still try to, uh, try to influence me. And so this is just goes to show you how much he did not know his father, how much he didn't know his character. And some of you are sitting here, and you don't know the character of God. That's why you have ran from him. You have ran hard from him. You don't trust him. So you've gotten as far away from church, from far away from your Bible, from far away from praying, because you don't truly know the character of God. So this younger son, he goes as far away as he can to a faraway country. He goes there, has all this money, and he lives well. Above his means. And then there's a famine. The famine comes and he can't get a job. And he's a Jewish boy. And a Jewish boy finally gets a job. The job is feeding slop to pigs. Now you need to understand something. The scribes and the Pharisees and even the publicans and sinners are listening to this story. And they're saying, good for that boy. Because he disrespected his father. You did not go to your father and disrespect him. You certainly didn't say, I wish you were dead so I could get your wealth. So they said, in a society that lived and thrived on justice, remember, Jesus even said, hey, you live an eye for an eye. In that culture, man, if somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. All right? That's just what you did. That was the culture back then. And Jesus spoke out against it. And so these people said, good. That boy's broke. He disrespected his daddy. That's exactly what should happen. All right? And so they were thinking, this, is, this story is actually going pretty good. They were, these Pharisees and scribes were thinking, I'm going to go tell my kids this story. Just think about asking me for five bucks. No, I'm gonna, no I'll see what you have. I'm feeding the pigs. And it got so bad that his prodigal son was starving. He came to the point where he would almost, he, he was wanting to eat the pig slop. And the Bible says in verse number 17, and when he came to himself, He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? It's interesting. The first passage, in the first parable, we see a lost sheep. The second one, we see a lost coin. In this passage, he's not technically lost because the father and the brother know where he is in a far country. But you know what was lost? He was lost to himself. That's why the Bible says, and he came to himself. Some of you, for the first time, you didn't understand how far gone you were. And you're having a moment because of something traumatic, something difficult. And God's saying, hey, you need to come to yourself. You need to snap out of this. You need to get back to reality. You need to get back to where you're supposed to be. You didn't lose. You're not physically lost, but there's something inside of your spirit that once where you had a relationship with God, you once had a relationship with your spouse, you once had the relationship with your children, and it's gone. And you need to come to yourself and say, The way I'm living is not how I want to live. This isn't working. This has got to change. And so he comes to himself, the Bible says, and he prepares a speech because he doesn't understand the character of his father. And he comes and he he says, hey, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him, hey, I'm not worthy to be your son, but will you make me one of your hired servants? Because at least you treat your hired servants better than this pig farmer does. And so he's on his way home. And notice the beauty of the parable, verse 24. Oh, excuse me. Verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, 
I'm sorry, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Here he's not even gone the whole way. And there it was, the father goes out to him. In Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve sinned. Who came and went looking for them in the Garden of Eden? It was God. See, the character of God is always to go looking for things that are lost. And when you're lost, God says, I'm going to pursue you. And for some of you that are here in church, God is going to use your friend, your coworker, your spouse. They're using, God is trying to pursue you. He's trying to get you back to the point where you understand he wants you back in fellowship. He wants you back in a point, and we're going to get to it. We're in a point of celebration. And so here this father, he runs and he meets him. And the son begins to give this father the speech. And the son said unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. He said, more of his speech. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And for those of you that grew up in Sunday school, that's where the story ends. Oh, everybody's happy. Everybody's great. But that's not really where the story ends. Because how many brothers are in the story? Two. The older and the younger. The behavior, the misbehavior. All of a sudden, we pick up the passage at the end. And we see in verse number 27. Or excuse me, verse 28. Five. Then the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh into the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, What are these things? And he said unto him, Thy brother has come home. Thy father hath killed the fatted calf, and because he hath received him safe and sound. All of a sudden, here's the older brother. He's coming back. He's behaved. He's done right. And all of a sudden, he sees the fatted calf, the calf he was saving up for his birthday, the calf he was saving up for his wedding, for his special day or whatever. All of a sudden, he sees that calf. He asks the servant, hey, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother that was lost has come home. And he's saying, the calf shouldn't be on that cart. My brother should be on that cart. That's who should be on there. But instead, the calf's on there. We're going to eat the calf. And all of a sudden, the brother is angry. I'm afraid this typifies many self-righteous Christians. We're angry at the lost. We're angry at those who are Christians who act lost. But it's not just Christians. Some of you grew up Catholic and you've, you've met an angry nun before. You've met a, met an angry person. You just see it. There's just this anger towards somebody who isn't living just like you. And here's this younger brother. And then the father says, wait a minute. Not only did the younger brother not understand my character, the older brother doesn't understand my character. Because we don't understand how good the father is. And so the father comes out to him. In verse number 31, he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me, and and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, was lost, and is found. You see, there's two brothers. The one brother didn't feel worthy enough to go into the party because he has sinned. He felt shame. The older brother was angry. He didn't want to go into the party. You see, both of the brothers thought that it was all based on performance, that they have to earn a party, that they had to earn God's love, that they weren't worthy to go in. Both didn't want to go. And the father says, I threw a party, but nobody wants to go to my party. Nobody wants in. They threw a party for the lost sheep. They threw a party for the coin. And now there's a party for the brothers. See, the character of God is to celebrate lost things. 
But we as a church, we've stopped celebrating those things that are lost and come, come home. Oh, we may celebrate baptism. Oh, we may celebrate salvation. But why don't we celebrate when a Christian says, you know what? I used to be a full-blown drug addict and I'm not anymore. I didn't celebrate that. You know what? I used to get drunk all the time and I don't. Let's celebrate that. You know what? I used to uh, do all kinds of bad stuff and I don't. And we don't celebrate it anymore. Because the character of God is to celebrate. Because your performance is not what God is interested in. It's your proximity. The father said, look, I just, I want my family. He says, we need to celebrate. Your brother was lost. He was, he was dead to us. But now he's back. We as a church, when we see somebody that may not be living right, let's embrace them. They, we don't need to push them farther out. We need to, hey, hey, let's, we need to bring you back in. Let me show you how, how a good husband should act. Let me show you how a good wife should act. Let me show you how, 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 how a good teenager acts, how, 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 how we're supposed to be. I'm not going to lecture you. Let me just do life with you and help you. Because this story is all about understanding the character of God. And so many times we as Christians, we've totally missed the character of God. You see, I want you to understand, we've got to wrap this up. God could not love you more, and nothing you do will cause him to love you less. God loves you no matter what you've done, but he doesn't love you because of what you've done. But for some of you, there are some things that you need to do. For some of you, you need to come home. For some, you need to confess. Some of you need to come clean. There's some stuff in your life where you know. You know when you moved in with that person, there was something in your heart that says this isn't right, but you, you do it. Some of you know that that substance abuse, you know it's gotten out of control and you need to go get help. You know that your marriage isn't doing as well and you need to go get help. There's something you need to do with this message. But I, want you to, I don't want you to fear for one second that you have a church that's going to judge you for it. We're going to celebrate with you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to love you. Because that's the message here. Jesus is saying, hey, there's some things I need to change. There's some things you're working on. We're here to help you. We're not here to kick you to the curb. Yeah, there's some things you need to change. There's some things I need to change. We haven't arrived yet. But God wants a people that says, you know what? Yeah, I can work with this. You see, it's not just us trying to love lost people. I think the church does a very good job at loving lost people. I think we have the hardest time at loving the people that are saved but act lost. Those are the hardest for us to love. And they almost need it the most. It's time for our church to say, you know what? We could do some things differently. We could reach out. We could show love. Can we stand, please?